Here we go. Neutron, proton, mass defect, lyrical oxidation, you're irrelevant, mass spectrograph, your electron volt, atomic energy erupting as I get all open on betatrons, gamma rays, thermal cracking, cyclotron, any and every mic you're on, transuranium, if y'all was uranium, molecule spontaneous combustion, Bam. law of definite proportion, gain ink weight, I'm every element around. Welcome to Spark Science, where we explore stories of human curiosity. I'm Regina Barber DeGraff, and I am here with my co-host, and he hasn't been on our show for a while, so I'm going to welcome him back. Hi! Jordan Baker, how's it going? Good. I don't know if I've, was I here last when I was a butcher? I think I've switched careers. You, you I everybody know that? Everyone okay. knows. Now yeah. you're a home inspector. Home inspector. Yeah. yeah. But we're going to talk about biofuels, algae, one of my colleagues at Western. Um, welcome, Gregory. Or Hi. Greg. I, I go by Greg. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> My mom calls me Gregory. So, yeah, I'm uh, Professor Greg O'Neill. I'm uh, at Western in the chemistry department. So, uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah. So, biofuels. Yeah. So let's just give me a rundown. Like, what's the... Where do we begin? Yeah, fuel, right? So, everybody gets fuel. You use biofuel today. If you I filled did. your car with gasoline Probably. and there was some ethanol in there, right? So, you see those buses running around town that say, you know, this, this bus runs on biodiesel. So... I'm going to ask a question right away of what I thought about when I thought about biofuels, because there was that big kind of hubbub in Washington state about basically biofuels made from corn and how like that was this big thing. And then it suddenly wasn't right. And so you do algae, so you don't have to deal with that, that situation. But can we like rehash that just so for our listeners to kind of understand what happened with that and yes. how that affected the biofuel industry? Right. Well, well, it goes even back further, right? So I think, you know, this idea of ethanol as a, as a fuel goes actually back to the, the Model T Ford. There's a famous quote by, by Ford that talks about how there's fuel in everything that grows. First diesel engine was, was built to run on peanut oil. And now we've gone full circle. Right. So we sort of know the story that petroleum was really cheap. And so we got away from from the biofuels. And then, you know, there's a lot of reasons that there's been this sort of resurgence of interest in biofuels, one of them being uh, geopolitical. So you can trace a lot of this back to actually the early 70s when there was the oil embargo. So you might right. have seen those those pictures of these long lines of gasoline stations and things like that. And then, you know, that kind of went away. People forgot about biofuels. And now all of a sudden, as you mentioned, Corn ethanol is supposed to be kind of the, the next great thing. Yeah, that was like in the aughts, right? But then there was a lot of resistance because they're yeah. saying like you're using all this land for this corn and it's not actually to eat. It's for these fuels and it's not that, you know, efficient. Mm -hmm. Is that basically what happened? It's or? true. Yeah. Okay. So, so you know, we talk about food versus fuel controversy, right? So this mm -hmm. is a big deal. Taking a food crop and diverting it to fuel is, is problematic. You know, at the end of the day, we're trying to save the environment, right? So that's what a, a lot of this is motivated by. When you're burning ethanol or gasoline or whatever, you're still sending up CO2 in the atmosphere. Right. And so there's questions about what the the mitigation is in terms of the, the greenhouse gases uh, emissions and things like that. So Yeah, like how much better is it? Really? How much better is it, right? Yeah. And so that's kind of where how I sell algae a little bit is that some some people have said that algae are better at, have sort of better benefits to the environment. Okay, when you burn it. Oh, yeah, you have to look at the whole process, right? So the cycle, right? right so biofuels in general, in an ideal world, you would burn the fuel, it goes in the atmosphere, and then the plants would fix that CO2, right, back into sugars and things like that. And so we call it this closed carbon cycle. Now, in reality, the rate at which we burn the fuels is faster than the rate at which the plants fix the CO2. Algae are a little bit better at fixing CO2 than plants. Corn, for instance, things like this. Right. Are there uh, people out there manufacturing moonshine from algae, though? 
Yeah, right. So, all right. So, so that and gets bacon. That's another thing I wanted to talk about. Algae bacon. bacon. Yeah. Did you not hear about like a bacon substitute like from algae, and it's basically a vegetarian bacon, but it like it flavors so hang close. On a sec. Yeah. That, that sounds this amazing. Hurts me as a former butcher. That makes me. I would totally. I love seaweed. I love yeah. bacon. I don't understand why this would be a bad thing. But anyway, sorry. So let's be clear. Yeah. You know, you mentioned seaweed, right? So yeah. so algae, algae is, is not seaweed. Well, so it is, right? So there's macroalgae, which is seaweed, okay, and then there's microalgae, which we call algae. At the end yeah. of the day, it's it's seaweed, and it smells just like seaweed. You know, so so it has that smell of the sea that you that you would associate with seaweed, and that's one aspect that I don't come out and tell my students when they want to work on this project is the smell associated with the, with the algae. Mm, I love um, that smell. Yeah. But, I'll come work in your But in, in reality, can you actually distill algae? Yeah. Well, so you can. Into ethanol. You can. If you wanted to, right? So there's a big push for making what they call co-products, right? So one of the biggest criticisms of algal biofuels is that it's too expensive. So if you were to compare the, the, the fuels that you get from algae, right, to petroleum, for instance, it would just be way too expensive. Now, one way to cut the cost would be to make more than one type of product, right. yeah? So you go to the, the store and you buy a liter of, of vodka. This is a lot more expensive than a liter of gasoline, correct? You know, and probably yes. orders than I do greater, right? So, I mean, I buy cheap vodka too, but, uh, you know, it's still more expensive than, than $3 a gallon of, of gasoline. So there's, there's the question. Do you go after a high value, lower volume product like booze or do you go after fuel, right? And now granted, making more grainy vodka or, you know, something that's not going to taste very good isn't necessarily going to save the environment. I don't know, but the, the heads and the tails is what they call it. Was that methanol? Yeah. And so that's cleaning products? True. So, I mean, kind of. Kind of. And and, and and if you could make multiple products from the same seaweed, right, then yeah. then potentially you could, you could sell your alcohol and then sell your gasoline and maybe use that to offset the cost, right? So you could maybe get closer to what the price point needs to be compared to, to petroleum. I do want to take a step back, though, um, and, and that's a very good, for me, an intro into what you're talking about when you're talking about algae bio biofuels. But on this show, we also, we have a lot of scientists, you know, we like to talk about how you, how did mm -hmm. you get into your field? Think about what was your path? Because we'd like to, our listeners like to know that scientists are human mm -hmm. and that they have different paths to get there. It's not like you were born a scientist. No, in fact, you know, I, I think chemistry was not on my radar probably until I went to college. Uh, and I think that's true for a lot of, of people, right? You kind of get to college and the idea is that at that point, maybe it's because you know that in four years you have to decide what you're going to do for a career. Um, yeah. So you have to start getting a little bit serious. And, and maybe this is why I'm an educator, but it depends on the experience that you have in the different subjects. And so, you know, I had a really positive experience in my chemistry classes. And what about physics? Not, <laughs> not so great. You know, Seems and, to be a theme. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe maybe that's not necessarily on the on the teacher. But I think there's some aspect yeah. to that. And then there's some genuine interest by the person and what you're good at. Right. And, and what makes the most sense to you and what you excel at. So and then, you know, my own path to biofuels was was also circuitous uh, in terms of we didn't set out to work on biofuels we were just interested in in algae these particular chemicals that we were extracting from the algae at that time it was when people were really interested or, or started to become interested again in in algal 
biofuels. And so we kind of went that direction. What were you working on before that then? So what were you doing with the algae before you were like, it can make energy? So there's probably two aspects of my own research that I think is different than some of the other groups that are working in this field. One is that, so I'm not interested in making a drop of fuel. There's a lot of groups out there that make one drop of fuel. And then they say, well, you know, so I, I grew my algae in this coffee cup and I made a drop of jet fuel. If I grew algae pool the size of Bellingham Bay, you know, I could solve all of Washington State's jet fuel needs, right? But there's a big difference between growing algae in a coffee cup and in the Bellingham Bay, right? So scale is a big issue. And so there's a lot of, of groups that will sort of do that in this field. And, and we've tried to make large amounts that we can actually test and perform these these studies to yeah, see if Western? it actually at Western okay. to see if it actually performs as a jet fuel. So that's one aspect. And the other spe- aspect, and this is kind of how we got into it, is that the particular algae that we're interested in biosynthesizes a unique lipid or wax that we think has some potential applications. Like from from that seaweed. Al- from that seaweed. algae earwax. Yeah. Algae earwax, if you will. And Perfect. and it's there's yeah. only a handful of algae that that um that make this particular wax. And we think it's got lots of potential applications aside from fuel. So that's kind of how we got there. Locally? Do we grow it locally? Yeah. We could, you know, and at the moment, I don't grow any algae in my lab. We buy all of our algae from an outfit down in San Jose, California. And, you know, my understanding is they grow this algae. It's called isocrisis. They grow it on maybe an acre scale or something like this. And uh, Isocrisis. I'm having an isocrisis. Right. Exactly. Who would they call it that? So we, we, but, but I have connected with, you know, the Western has a, the Shannon Point Marine Center. Yeah. And so I've connected with some scientists there and and they've grown this particular algae. My understanding is it grows like a weed, Um, you know, Taylor shellfish farms. They grow a lot of algae actually. And the reason is just to feed their, they're oysters. Mm-hmm. So that's why this group down in San Jose actually grows this algae is because it's fish food. Okay. We're taking that fish food and trying to turn it into fuel. Which is a lot better than the corn that they were feeding the fish. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, nobody cares about yeah. taking food from fish, right? But if- so, I mean, when you were talking about this, this idea, we can kind of go back to what we were talking about to begin with, but this idea of corn and it not being as good as this algae. One, it grows faster, right? Mm-hmm. And, and two, it takes less to make it grow, correct? Then putting whatever you put, resources you put into corn, right? Mm-hmm. One is, you know, when you talk about resources, what it takes to grow corn versus algae, you know, they both need nutrients. I honestly don't know what the what that intake is, but certainly because it's a marine algae, we're using salt water or brackish water. We're not using fresh water. Mm-hmm. So that's I think that's actually a big deal. Two, you know, productivity is better. So, you know, we're interested in extracting oil out of this algae. People have suggested, some studies have suggested that these algae can make lots of oil compared to normal plants, terrestrial plants. So you're right. Terrestrial plants. Terrestrial plants. <laughs> so, uh, so, so the output would be better. And then the other one would be, yeah, CO2 fixation rates are supposedly higher. Are there still big factions? And uh, let's say we go to a biofuel convention or something, yeah. which I'm sure there is, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. And you go there and there's like factions. Are there still large factions of, let's say, ethanol versus what you're doing with the algae? And I don't even know what other kinds of biofuels there can be, but... Yeah, like with anything, when there's limited resources, right? You you try to say that your technology is the best. In so any... are those the two big ones? Like what 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 is the layout at a biofuels okay. convention? So I think one thing you got to be a little bit compar- careful about yeah. comparing those sorts of things, right? So right now mm-hmm. on the market is ethanol from corn and we say and it's actually corn kernels, right? So it's the edible part mm, and a lot okay. of oil from soybean, palm, 
oil okay. and canola oil. Okay. Uh, like the people that take like the stuff from like McDonald's and use that for their car. Exactly. And I <laughs> probably would recommend against doing that. We Ooh. definitely want to. We... <laughs> yeah. Sure. Why? Why? Okay. Because I, ha- I know people who have done it. And so I, I think we all do. Question. And you can do that. And, and certainly it's cheap, right? So, and that's why they do it, right? So right. you can go, there's lots of fryer oil, but like anything, the quality of the feedstock is going to impact the quality of the final product. When you've got this used fryer oil, you know, you pour in this beautiful yellow oil. We've all done this in our frying pan and then you cook with it and you end up with this gunky, you know, yeah. there's some solid material. Particulates. Particulates, it changes color, right? So it's brownish and all these sorts of things. I, you know, hopefully these people kind of filter it a little bit when they, you know, they do that, but it still doesn't remove all of that material. You put that in your engine and it's going to cause some problems. I, well, I, I know about like some diesel engines. They've been, they now put filters even for pump uh, diesel. Sure. And you can, you can actually, you can buy these kits that would change your or modify your car so that you could run it on what they call pure plant oil. So you could go down to the grocery store, you could get a gallon of vegetable oil and you could pour it in your car and use that. Back to the biodiesel convention. You have, sure. you have soy, you have canola, you have all these places and biodiesel. <laughs> yeah. Biodiesel that is being sold right, right now. now. Is there algae biodiesel? No. No. And, and I would argue that I may have the world supply of algal biodiesel in my laboratory right now. Uh-oh. Uh, now so they know. It's, it's a scarce, it's a scarce uh, product. We talked about how these are kind of falling out of favor because it's corn and edible crops. And so the and next, just land use, right? Land use like, is land a problem, use. right? Next generation cellulosic fuels, right? So this is taking the the parts of the plants that are left over. You know, it's a huge amount of material. So all that stuff is made up of sugar, but it's a different sugar material. So you have to sort of unlock the sugar to make it fermentable. And that's one of the challenges with cellulosic fuels. And so I would say that that's certainly more advanced. And then algae, fuels from algae is at the very beginning stages. Um, And there are some technological or engineering challenges for making economically viable. But at the same time, that might actually be one positive aspect is that people are talking about growing algae in wastewater plants, right? So the idea is that you could use that to remediate the wastewater as well. And It's not yeah. like we're going to be eating it. Nope. <laughs> well, so I'm, we're going to take a quick break. And sure. when we come back, we can talk about this waste idea that Jordan just brought up. But we can also talk about this idea of other kinds of energy too. All right. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Spark Science, where we're talking about biofuels with Greg O'Neill. Uh, we were just talking about the um, the rivalry in the what was it the the trade shows or whatever. About well, we were talking algae. about like a, like a biofuel conference or something. Right. Well, I don't know conference. Yeah, I'll call it a trade show. Trade. Uh, like, I mean, there are product, trade shows too. Our product is better and that stuff. And then you mentioned the solar yeah. like. Solar's like, hey, we'll be better in You're biofuels. Right. You're right. I just watched the Simpsons episode with they were at a energy trade show and mm-hmm. it was like mm-hmm. <laughs> nuclear power and like and the solar and they were like getting screamed at the whole time. I don't know if you know this episode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or it just, I imagine or it just that. resonates with you. Yeah. <laughs> and and we're playing it up. There I'm sure there's not any like fist fights or at these things, but there is a competition. Like you said, there's competition for grant funding, there's competition for private grant funding, for government grant funding, space at university. 
universities if, mm-hmm. if your science is like doing enough? What is the kind of, what do I want to say, landscape of all the kind of f- the fuel industry? Sure. And it can get heated, right? Yeah. So, I, you know, that's not a lie. <laughs> heated. <laughs> heated. You can, you can, you can energy. Yeah. Yeah. Heated. I was giving you an out. <laughs> so, like, maybe it isn't heated. Okay, so it does no, get heated. Th- you, you go and you present your results and, uh, and people will stand up and tell you that, you know, what you're doing is is not the way to go that you know cellulosic fuel for instance is the future and um, oh wow so they're like uh, they're like devoted to their field sure right and, right. They, and well, every, everybody has you know the antithesis of like hey here's this no no this study says this yeah yeah it can't all be right no and, and, and I mean, you have to, right? You have to believe yeah. in what you're doing, right? Right. I, I think maybe I should come right out and say I'm not either, I'm not a proponent or opponent, let's say, of these algal fuels. I, right. My real interest is generating data to see if these things are viable, right? right. So we talked about fuel property tests, right? So I don't, I'm not interested in making a drop of this stuff. I want to see if this is legit, right? You asked about kind of the overall picture right. of where things are going. You might have noticed that, you know, gas prices were oil prices, they, they dropped off, right? Mm-hmm. And so there was a kind of a peak in 2009, 2010, and then it really dropped off significantly. Biofuel, you know, uh, startups and companies, they took they took a hit. A lot of them went out of mm-hmm. business when that happened because at the end of the day, the bottom line is how do they compare it to petroleum, right? Right. I mean, ask yourself, if you were going to buy a, a plane ticket, would you be willing to spend, you know, $200 more to fly in a plane that's Using biofuel versus petrol maybe, jet. Maybe if it was Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> <laughs> but doubtful, right? So, yeah. um, so the, at the end of the day, the bottom line is there is the is the petroleum. Well, there's also this like kind of push for uh, you know electric cars and and like then fl- fuels out entirely, right? right? So what do you do? Electric cars, we see them all over the place. I think that it's going to take a long time before we see the entire transportation fleet transition to electric, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, ask yourself, I don't buy cars that often, right? So, right. And, and I'm assuming you don't either. And no. most people don't buy cars every other year, right? So it's going to take a long time for, for us to see all the gasoline cars, for instance, come off the road. One one industry where I think biofuels could make a big impact would be aviation. So when I was working on this, I had a, um, a retired admiral from the U.S. Navy come in and kind of talk to me about about our biofuels. And he was saying that, you know, he can't fly his F-18s on batteries and windmills. Um, <laughs> he needs a, <laughs> energy dense liquid fuel. And if you want to go green, the only place that you're going to get that is from biofuels. Mm. So actually, you know, some of the, the biggest interests in biofuels right now are, is, is commercial airlines uh, and the U.S. Navy and Air Force course um because that's a tough nut to crack there was this electric plane i don't know if you did this around the world uh trip the solar impulse i think and it had like it one called. person in it had one person i think it's a start it's a start it is a i start. think there were maybe more than one person right okay. um in case somebody had thick snooze or something but i think the wingspan was like 200 yards or something like wow. that and it required very a, a really narrow range of takeoff and landing conditions i think i had actually heard um you know I'm from Bellingham. I listen to NPR. So I was listening to an NPR story and they were talking about that, this idea that we really want to have these renewable energies, electric um, cars, all this kind of stuff, but it just doesn't have the same kind of effectiveness when we're talking about planes, right? That that scaling thing that we're talking about Mm -hmm. and also other, I never thought of that, but you're absolutely right. I don't think your biofuels are going to be in jeopardy for at least for, not like tomorrow. No. Yeah. (laughs) And I think, you know, in in Europe, I think, you know, you talk about going all hybrid in, let's say 2050, you know, the U.S. is notoriously behind Europe when we try and implement these things, right? I mean, the reality is probably for the next 50 years or something like this, you know, we, we can expect to see certainly 
a lot of gasoline powered cars still on the road. Um, People love their hot rods, though. Yeah, yeah, cars. Yeah, but if we can stick the biofuel in there instead, I think I think it could make a difference. So we're talking about earlier about other products that you can get. What are some other products from the waste? that you don't use for the jet fuel or whatever. Right. The algae that we're working on, so you know, so you can extract oils that we can make. A couple of those oils are actually omega-3 fatty acids, so so EPA and DHA, which actually are used a lot in infant formulas and things like this. So, um, But if you're making them in the wastewater, I guess we could still do it. It's distilling. He, he, he mentioned earlier about a really expensive filtering process. <laughs> that's true. So. That's true. That's true. That's true. So for so, babies. Yeah, so for babies, right? So whether they use that as a supplement, right, or... Right. Make it biodiesel, right? Mm-hmm. And again, uh, widely different markets. Because um, <laughs> I was just about to dump a bunch of omega threes in some water and throw it in my car. Yeah, <laughs> right. Try that. Yeah, see how much yeah. it costs to go down to. You know, I used to do McDonald's, but now, but now, yeah. omega three vitamins. <laughs> right. That would be expensive. Yeah, it um, would be so much more expensive. And then I mentioned these waxes that we that we get out of our algae. So um, what do you do with the waxes? We've converted them to jet fuel, partly okay. because we know that that's a, a challenging uh, target for for biofuels. So we have some chemistry that we use to convert these waxes into uh, jet fuel. Okay. Whether or not that's the way to go, you know, again, if you want to be competitive, you have to make large amounts of jet fuel very cheaply. And right now, it, it costs us a lot more okay. to do that. The other thing that we're, so we're thinking about other thing, other products that we could potentially make. And if we want to stick with the biofuels, right? Well, we can make biodiesel with the oils, but maybe we could take these waxes and make something else that's useful. And, and one thing that we're looking at is actually a personal care and cosmetic application. I had to relate it or compare it to something that you're familiar with. It's probably most similar to beeswax. So instead of Burt's Bees, it'll be like Greg's Algae Cream. Yes, And it'll exactly. have your face on it because... <laughs> Covered in green <laughs> algae. Yeah, because all white to, dudes, yeah. that's, how, that's what sells, Burt's Bees. <laughs> he's like a clean shave and Burt. <laughs> right, he, yeah. He's like the younger, hipper version of Burt's yeah, Bees. Yeah. So that's how we're going to sell it. Yeah. So you might you might start seeing this, right? Because this would be totally locally sourced, right? We could save the bees, right? Bees are in danger. We all know yeah. that. So don't problems. make them make your cosmetics. We can make your cosmetics. We can do that. <laughs> I right. love this. And I think vegans probably are not not into bee products as well. I think there are other, mm, you know, yeah. groups that would prefer to have a product that is not sourced from, from you are insects, right? So um, This is so Bellingham. So, right. so <laughs> you might see this coming. I mean, this is, this is, this is a pipe like, dream. like, I don't um, want to mess with the bees' wax. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That algae. Algae no, I don't, wax. I can't see algae. Yep. I'm going to make I mean, sure it's going to be like algae max. Right. Al- algae wax the future. So, so like mass balance, we get, let's say, 50%, we get the oils that we can make biodiesel if we wanted to 10% would be these waxes that we could do some other things with and the other thing that's in that we're extracting out of our algae is there's a carotenoid so you might have heard of beta carotene this is what makes our carrots orange and makes our salmon red and you know uh, there's actually a, a carotenoid that comes out of our algae that we can extract that's currently sold as a, a weight loss supplement mm, um, so works. we are we are trying to extract <laughs> every bit of value from our algae you know what's remaining after we do all this well there's sugars that we could potentially ferment into our moonshine and then there's also protein that we could potentially use as, as food or bacon there you go that's kind of where the technology is is it moment. pretty much going down to a zero i don't know budget i guess i yeah, don't know what yeah. to call it, but you're like a zero waste right we want to use every bit of that algae but if we want to stick with your or keep this conversation centered around biofuels right at the end of the day we're trying to maybe offset the cost of those those biofuels by selling these other products this is all this all looks good on paper you know my yeah. lab the students in my lab are, are maybe trying out some of these things, but um, we'll see how it plays out in the future. We're at the very, very early stages, I would say, of that. 
universities are working on this around the country? Mm -hmm. So actually, PNNL, uh, Pacific Northwest National Laboratory, okay. has, a, has a big interest in algae. I should probably point out that this idea of making transportation fuels from algae is, an, is not a new idea. Yeah, where did it come from? The U.S. Department of Energy spent 20 years looking at trying to make transportation fuels from algae. I mentioned the Mideast oil crisis, right? That was the early 70s. And then following this, all of a sudden the DOE funds a program to look at making transportation fuels from algae. So that went on from the mid 70s to the mid 90s. And then they cut the program. The, the reason was because they decided that uh, it was just not cost competitive with petroleum at that time. When they cut the program, the cost of crude oil was about, let's say, $20 per barrel. In 2010, 2009, it was about $100 per barrel. And so all of a sudden, you see this resurgence of interest in looking at algae for transportation fuels, right? So the question becomes, now, now that it's $100 per barrel, is it cost competitive at this point? So anyway, so PNNL is Pacific Northwest National Lab is, a, is closely connected with the Department of Energy. And so they have a number of people actually out at their Sequim uh, lab who are looking at growing algae and doing a lot of the cultivation work. And then there's some groups in Richland that are looking at the actual conversion of the algae into the fuels. So, so is it like kind of a Northwest <clears throat> thing then? Are there any other places that are that are really doing this? Sure. So it's, it's worldwide. Okay. Right? So yeah, I would say, in fact, I, I collaborate with groups in France, Australia. It's really So every worldwide. bit of the world is working on this a little bit. And I think that reflects the fact that you can grow algae all over the world. Because right. there's oceans all around the world. There are oceans, and, there are, and, and the other thing is that there's hundreds of thousands of species of algae, right? And so right. many more species of algae than, than corn, for instance, right? And so the idea is that you can, wherever you are, whatever climate you've got, you can find an algae that will grow well in your particular region. Now, some are, are fatter than others. They produce more oil. At the end of the day, you know, I think you'd be more successful growing algae, for instance, in Bellingham than corn. All right, so... I know we're going to stick to biofuels, okay, but I have to ask a question. So <laughs> he's like, you said at me. the macro, the seaweed is the macro. Mm -hmm. Well, if I just go out somewhere and I look in a puddle or, you know, a stagnant pool of water or something, mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, that may or may not have algae in it. How would I know? Is it like form on the top? Can I scoop it up with a net? Do I fish for it? Like, Well, so technically you probably want to take a sample, right? And look at it under a microscope and have an expert uh, tell you because... You know, you may have seen, for instance, you know, pink scum in your in your bathtub, right? And so some algae's pink, some algae's green. Uh, you know, cyanobacteria technically are, are algae, right? So, Dr. Um, Robin Codner at our deals with um, snow algae, which is pink. Mm -hmm. We had her on a show earlier. So as you know, it comes in many different shapes and sizes and colors. You mentioned a sink or whatever, but mm -hmm. it's like sticks to the edges. Does it float? Does it sink? Is it just encased in like? Ugh? It depends. Usually, it's all mixed in. Right. So so when people are growing algae for industrial purposes, there's usually two different ways. One is like an open pond, but it's they call it a raceway pond. So it's, it's sort of a circular track that continues to circulate the water and mm. nutrients and all this sort of stuff. And if you look at it, it looks homogeneous. So it's just, uh, you know, uh, mixed in algae and water. So you can't so really see like it floating slushy, on the top. It's just like a slushy, yeah, all mixed together. Right. It's not, it's not separated. The algae are here and, and the water's here, which is one of the challenges, right? So then how do you get rid of, or how do you actually isolate the algae away from all this water? Harvest. How do you harvest it? And so there's different methods. For instance, you can add things that will get the algae to clump together. Do you inject something into the water to... Like yeah, what? these flocculating agents they call them. So okay. I just uh, collect and then they clump together. My lab, when we buy it um, from this company, we buy a paste that's 80% water and 20% algae. And we pay about, let's say, $100. Wow. Just For like how idea. much? For, so it's, sorry, so, so it's a kilogram. Oh. Uh, okay. Um, so that's like... 200 grams. Yeah. Um, it's not very much. Is that a softball yeah. size you're doing there? Maybe a coffee cup. You know, and that's where yeah. a lot of the cost is. We literally take... 
our algae paste and we spread it into a baking dish. This is something that we found is most convenient. And we put it in the oven and oh, wow. we literally just bake it. And then we have a scraper that we can just scrape all the algae off the sides of the container. And, uh, and then we get this dry algae. Anyway, yeah. But you were talking about wastewater. Like people have been talking about possibly growing this algae in the wastewater and that the side effects of the algae actually helping the wastewater right. um, or helping filter it. Or Tell me more about that. So, I mean, it's, it's full of fertilizer, if you will. You know, if we think about algae need these inputs, if we can grow them using the wastewater, well, then that's that much less cost in terms of having to add additional nutrients to grow this algae. That wastewater would probably be run through a you know raceway pond or something like this. And in the process, as the algae right. grow on it, sort of treating that wastewater. Presumably, they have to go on for further treatment before it would get released. So we're going to take another break. And then when we come back, um, we always ask guests about how their science is being portrayed in pop culture. And also, I'd like to talk about like the politics, because you're talking about the, this idea of programs being started, then stopped, and then started. And I would like to talk about who supports those projects and who doesn't. Anyway, we'll want to take that break. We'll come back and we'll talk about that stuff. We'll be right back. back to Spark Science, where we're talking with Dr. Greg O'Neill about biofuels. And we've learned, I've learned a lot about like, I don't know, the politics of biofuels, but also like how it's, how it's created. I wanted to actually go down that road of politics a little bit more, because I know we've had a lot of astronomy on our show. We've had people that do like space policy on our show. And space is something that kind of has like a, a bipartisan support. Mm-hmm. Because we were talking about biofuels and kind of where that lies in renewable energy, it's kind of in between solar and like fossil fuels. So it's kind of in between. So does it does it kind of garner bipartisan support or does it not? Is it is it definitely like a Republican thing or definitely a Democratic thing? Or what is it like in the lobbying world? Yeah, well, I think certainly right now there is questions about whether or not this type of work will continue to get funded. So we've heard a lot about, you know, the coal industry coming back. There's a lot of interest in shale oil technology, fracking, and all that's moving forward. Some time ago, I mentioned that, you know, the bottom line is petroleum. When petroleum is cheap, you know, biofuels are going to have a tough time, at least industrially. There is a real question right now of whether or not, for instance, my current funding, my grant will be up, you know, fairly soon, and I'll need to ask for, for more money to continue this work, whether or not I can expect to get that because there is some influence from the top on, you know, what, for instance, the National Science Foundation, what the priorities are for funding. And biofuels is not at the top. Certainly not anymore. Uh, and, And I don't know if it was necessarily at the top, but I think we saw a lot of momentum in the last, I think, five or six years. There's there's been some momentum and there's been a lot of government incentives to do this. And already there's still a lot of worldwide policy moving toward biofuels. There's something called the Renewable Fuel Standard, which is in place, um, which said that by 2022, the U.S. was going to blend 36 billion gallons of renewable fuel into its transportation fuels. Whether or not that gets renewed or enforced, that's That's coming up soon. The EU has this emissions trading program. What's interesting on that is that if you're using biofuels, those emissions are counted as zero. So it's as if you're 
not emitting any CO2. Oh, so that's wow. how it gets counted. And again, the, the argument being that, well, you're using plants that are going to trap that CO2. And so that gets counted as zero. So it's like a net zero. It's a net zero. So if you look at the, the fine print, so, so there are <laughs> incentives uh, in Europe, you know, to continue this biofuels usage if you exceed your allotment. So in that program, if, if you exceed how much emissions you're granted, then you have to sponsor other type of alternative fuel or, or greener technologies. And so whether or not some of that money might get funded to, to these types of programs, we'll see. So yeah, I think, I think it is political in that sense. You gave me a number. You said like we were as the U.S. In, under at least the Obama administration, we're trying by 2022 to be, what did you say, 40%? Well, 36 billion gallons. And I honestly don't know. And it was enough to give some of these biofuels companies confidence that they would have somewhere to sell their product. So it's not that now, though. Well, so now I think there's uncertainty of okay. whether or not we're still going to, right? So we pulled out of the, the Paris Agreement and, mm -hmm. you know, these sorts of things. And so whether or not we're going to stick to that goal or target remains to be seen. It's interesting to hear that the government would be, I don't know, for me, I don't watch the news on purpose. Um, yeah. But like <laughs> when you do hear a lot of people like saying, oh, big oil, big oil, and like governments ran by big oil to see or to hear that there actually are organizations within the government that are funding this. And I don't know. I think that's hopeful yeah. from me, I guess. Yeah. And, and you know what? I should point out that actually some of the biggest players in the biofuel industry are the big oil companies. Right. Because they have to look to the future. Yeah. And they're, they're looking to diversify. Right. And they also have a lot of the know-how for making these types of products. It's when people like BP and Exxon and, and these play, people step up and shell, right? That that's really when, when this industry is going to take off. These guys are the experts. If we see advancement, it probably would be from them. So what, what is like the latest, biggest news in like biofuels? So there's a couple different areas that I think are being pushed. So there's a company called Synthetic Genomics, which is trying to basically make a biofuel organism from scratch. Okay, and so they're going to make the ideal biofuel producing organism. And they're actually getting, they've got money from Exxon uh, to do this. Okay, that seems very like... So, so it's not really synthetic if it's... Just, just, <laughs> I, I should point out, that's probably the opposite of what I do in my lab, where I'm taking a, a bug that's grown by, you know, a mom and pop shop down in San Jose, and, and it's been grown for, let's say, 30 years industrially. And so, you know, whether we want to game nature to try and make it better biofuels, I'm not More sure if that's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. But I think right now the, the goal is to is still to just get the bottom line for the, the cost with petroleum. So I'm going to get to my favorite question. Okay. And this is sometimes my colleague's least favorite question. Do you watch Star Trek? No. I, I should probably preface this with I'm very far removed from pop culture. So So what do you, then what do you like as a, like an unwind, as an escape? Because, or do you, are you one of those scientists that have science all the time? No. So right now, all of the time that I spend outside of school doing science is taken up mostly by my kids. Yeah. So I have two young kids and they occupy most of my time. Yeah. So once I'm done with that, then I'm happy to just take a, take a breather. And, yeah. uh, and, and Do they like TV? They watch some some shows. Uh, you know, let's be honest. It's pretty easy to for you to take a break and let them I watch some shows. And, I'm, um, that's basically, I just make yeah. everyone love TV yeah. as much as <laughs> But I would say, you know, I'm not aware of any shows that portray uh, the biofuel industry, algae. I do want to see, there was recently an, uh, a movie that was put out about the Macondo well uh, blowout. Yeah. Sorry. Well. <laughs> so this was the, the spill in the Gulf of Mexico. Oh. Uh, in 2000. And I'm dating myself. Uh, I it was remember. a while ago. Uh, Close to a decade. So that was a giant spill. And there was a, a movie that was recently put out that I, I've heard was really good. 
Kenneth, you know, I mean, what comes to mind? Doc Brown. In, uh, right. We've talked about him Back several times. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think, right. you know, all of my neighbors probably want to have a, a peek in my garage because they think that I've got some crazy stuff going on there being a chemist. He's um, just making moonshine. <laughs> There's nothing going on here. You know, and, and for instance, today in the, in the in the teaching laboratory, the students did a distillation. And so you can't help but relate that to uh, to making moonshine. Which sorry, is illegal. No, and none right. of us do that in our garages <laughs> with <laughs> converted pressure cookers. <laughs> it's totally okay. It's okay that other people don't like pop culture. Um, no, but I, w- I want to thank you for being on our show. And I want to thank you also because this is at the end of our show, but Greg had actually put together a workshop at Western um, and he was, he got AAAS, which is the um, American Association for the Advancement of Science, to come and do a workshop on being a better science communicator. And so I'm I'm indebted to Greg. I mean, it's nice to have another colleague at Western that actually cares about getting science out there and making us look less scary. I hope I did so. Yeah. <laughs> well, so thank you for, for coming on our show and educating us about biofuels. This was awesome. Happy to do yeah, so. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening to Spark Science. If you missed any of the show, go to our website, sparksciencenow.com. If there's a science idea you're curious about, send us a message on Twitter or Facebook at Spark Science Now. Spark Science is produced in collaboration with KMRE Spark Radio and Western Washington University. Today's episode was recorded at the KMRE studios operated by the Spark Museum of Electrical Invention in Bellingham, Washington. Our producer is Regina Barber-DeGraff. Our audio engineers are Natalie Moore, Andrew Norden, and Tori Hiley. Our theme music is Chemical Calisthenics by Black Alicious and Wonderland by Janelle Monet. Lead, gold, tin, iron, platinum, zinc. When I rap, you think iodine, nitrate, activate. Red uranium, the only difference is I transmit sound. Dallas whistle, Dallas, then you add a little talent in. Careful, careful with those ingredients. They can explode and blow up if you drop them and they hit the ground.